0: I say, dude, I'm always what I mean. I'm neither Saint nor sinner, I'm somewhere in between. Hi, and
1: welcome to You Are Never the Only One, hosted by me, Cat Sims. Now, You may think you're special, that your worries, fuck-ups, and fun times are unique only to you, that only you can get so many things wrong so much of the time. Well, I'm here to prove to you every Monday morning that, in the nicest possible way, you're not special or unique. You don't fuck up any more than the rest of us, and that even though it doesn't always feel like it, you are, in fact, never the only one. Hey, hey! welcome back. It has been a while. I can only apologize, but I am now back. Uh, I went into a forced hiatus due to the old COVID. But to be honest, once I recovered, everything blew up. Work got busy. Kids got busy. Responsibilities got busy. Everything took over and it just was so difficult to find a hot minute to get this stuff done and you know what I've talked about it before and I'll talk about it again some balls are plastic some balls of glass we juggle as many of them as we can but when it all gets too much there are plastic balls that we can drop and at the time this podcast was a plastic ball that being said thank you so much for being patient and waiting um I am now recovered which is nice and even though I might be on the end uh, on the cusp of an end-of-the-year breakdown. I'm sure you can all relate. Uh, I'm wrapping up this year and this season with the final two episodes. And I'm going to make sure that they are kick your ass, smack you in the face, tickle your pits. Fantastic. kick off this week's episode, I thought I'd let you know what this podcast is going to look like in the new year. I will be back, but it's going to look a little different. Firstly, I've realized that doing a podcast all by yourself with no guests is actually really, really, really time consuming. Um, What I did notice is that the most popular podcast I've had so far is the one where I interviewed Jimmy. I'm trying not to take that personally, uh, but it does prove to me that you'll love a little bit of, well, you'll love a little bit of Jimmy Sims, but you do love a bit of chat about the key important talking points that nobody really talks about. So I'm going to alternate episodes. I am still going to do solo ones just like this one uh, but we are also going to have guest episodes and I am busy curating an incredible guest list where we will be talking about all the things that people never really want to talk about but that we all experience on the daily. When you think about it there's actually quite a lot of stuff. But for now, let's focus on this episode. I will be sharing some excellent stories from you guys about kids that swear. Thank you so much to everybody who submitted um, a story. We'll be chatting about the best contraceptive method of them all, telling people what it's like when you have to take your kids swimming. Uh, And then I'm gonna get a little controversial because boy, have I got things to say about Just Stop Oil. This conversation was inspired by, um, I'm gonna say a conversation I had with Jimmy, but it sort of got into a bit of a fight. about Just Stop Oil, which is the environmental activist group working to convince the British government to commit to halting new fossil fuel licensing and production. Don't worry though, I'm going to make it fun. So let's get on with it, shall we? Now, you might not know this about me, although if you know me even a little bit, it won't surprise you. But one of my favourite things in the world is hearing kids swear. Now, I don't mean it in a this is England kind of way, but in a, oh, there's a sweet kid who just dropped the F-bomb because she dropped her milk and that's what she heard a mum say kind of way. It's honestly joyous. And when they use it in context, then, well, I just want to high five them and let them bathe in Haribo. I remember once when my eldest was about two and she was this oh, I can't believe I'm telling this story in, in real life but here we go she was figuring out rhyming words and she was asking my husband where he was from and he said I'm from Birmingham and then he said that's why they call me a brummy. and she said oh brummy rhymes with tummy and Jimmy said yes darling you're right it does what else rhymes with Brummy? and she went mummy and we all clapped and we thought isn't she clever um, and we were like, well done, darling. And then he said, is there anything else you can think of? And she took a minute and then without missing a beat, she just went, cunt. <laughs> I, I shit you not. And I just want to say at this point, I genuinely don't think she meant to use it as a word because I, I am bad, but I've never used the C word in front of the kids. I have said fuck. I might have even said motherfucker. I've definitely said shit. I've said bollocks, every other word. But cunt is a word that even I avoid uttering around the kids ears so I can only assume that maybe she was just like making a noise um I hope so anyway but whatever the reason it does remain a tale of comedic gold amongst our family um and you know I did it as well when I was a kid I think I must have been about three we were all camping in France and it was like my family my aunts and uncles and their kids and one evening my mum just turned around to me and she said Catherine because I was always known as Catherine when I was younger. Catherine, why don't you help us with the washing up? And apparently I turned around and said, why don't you just fuck off? And it was very clear that I knew I'd said something wrong because apparently I just got up and ran. Uh, My mum chased me around the field that we were camping in. And the only reason she caught me apparently, as the story goes, uh, was because I backed myself into a corner. Uh, by which time she didn't have the heart to smack me silly. So that's 80s parenting for you. Enough about me and my shitty parenting and my shitty parents. Only joking, mum. Here's your experience, and some of these are brilliant. So grab a cup of tea and a tenor lady and settle in. First up, we've got Kaylee. She wrote and she said, So we happened to be at my partner's Nan's house one Sunday for lunch. Already, you know that this is a prime setting for a very severe and shocking experience. My darling daughter, who was age two at the time, needed a number two. Off she trotted to the toilet on her own and I said, call mummy when you're ready. At the precise moment conversation just went quiet across the table, came the voice of my daughter at full volume. Mum, I done a big smelly shit. Mum, I said I been for a big shit. <laughs> Cue me giving the death stare across the table at my other half whilst leaving the room to go and assist with this smelly big shit. And FYI, she wasn't wrong. It's also worse because it's that you're at her in-law's house. You know, if it had been her parents, it wouldn't have been quite so bad. But it's her in-laws. It's a tough crowd. It's a tough crowd. Next up, we have got Sally. And again... It's the judgy in-law, so here we go. When my son was just over two, he was staying at his Nana's. We got a very angry phone call from the mother-in-law. She then went on to say that he had told her to fuck off. She went on to ask him where he heard the word fuck, and he told her very proudly that mummy says it to daddy and daddy says it to mummy all the time. Whoops! As you can imagine, she wasn't impressed and we got a right bollocking. We both found it very amusing, to be fair, and I was quite proud, actually. Funny times. I mean, if you don't like your mother-in-law and your kid tells her to fuck off, there is a part of you that's going to enjoy that, isn't there? I also love that she gave a The parents are bollocking as well. You know that the mother-in-law was there going, do you know what? I'm going to knock all the fucking heads together over this. Right. I am delighted about the next one because it shows that I'm not the only one, which after all is the point of this podcast. The lovely Hannah says, my middle daughter, Helen, whilst in Sainsbury's, she says it couldn't have been bloody Aldi or Asda, could it? I Don't know what's wrong with Asda. Uh, I won't hear a bad word said about Asda, Uh, she was in the trolley as per usual and I was being a great mum and letting her stuff her face whilst walking around the shop so she didn't pitch a shit fit like she normally would. I feel like you've said that with a little bit of sarcasm but I actually think that is great mumming. They need snacks so that you can do the supermarket run. Anyway, I put the said snacks back in trolley and then at the top of her delightfully cute voice she started to scream the word cunt. Very, very loudly. And I turned in horror as every single person in there looked at me in utter disgust. I just want to say, if I was ever in a supermarket and somebody's kid was shouting cunt at the top of their voices over and over again, I would not be looking in disgust. I would be howling with laughter and offering the woman help. That's what I'd be doing. Anyway. I turned around only to see my child reaching for the said snacks. She was trying to say can't, as in she can't reach the snacks. I then spent the next five minutes apologising to everybody my two-year-old had called a cunt. To say I was mortified is an understatement. I get it. And again, listen, there's another one. The kids are bringing it with the C word this week. When my daughter was on her first day in year seven, she was still sweet and innocent. I don't think so. She came home and told me she had a P teacher called Mr Ender, of course, that they all called Mr. Bender. (sighs) Something's never changed, do they? She then proceeded to tell me that they had a music teacher called Mr. Munt, who they called Mr. Cunt. She had no idea it was a naughty word. That's what she said. But this one is by far my favourite, just because of the context. It's, It's genuinely, actually sweet. It's not a big sweary one, but it's funny in the situation. So, My daughter was a mute outside of the home for a very long time. No one ever heard her speak, as if others came into the home, she would go quiet. My mum and dad were looking after her one day, and they needed to take her out in the car. My mum and dad were always trying to get her to speak, as was everyone. So they were out in the car, and my dad saw a dog. He said, oh look, there's a dog there, can you see it? You know that voice. Look, there's a dog. He said that to my daughter. Apparently, she just looked out of the window, and then said, bloody dog. And rolled her eyes first time my parents had ever heard their granddaughter speak they're also devout Christians so any kind of blasphemy is not appreciated of course they let me know in front of my older kids who proceeded to throw me under the bus and say oh mum that's you that is turns out I'm always saying bloody dog when he's done something to piss me off which is apparently is pretty regularly I love that I love that, that, that she's a selective mute so she's mute outside of the house her grandparents have never heard her speak and the first time they hear her she goes bloody dog That's brilliant. Um, And just in case you thought you were being sneaky, by the way, when you were hiding veg in spag bowl, we all do that as well. Here's the proof that the kids know. My two and a half year old daughter was eating spag bowl. She then said, I taste carrots. I don't like carrots. Her father told her to close her eyes and see what she now tastes, as he didn't think there were any carrots in there. And what do you taste now, sweetheart? To which my two and a half year old replied, Fucking carrots. I taste fucking carrots. Well, she knows. And then, finally, I think, is it finally? Yes. And bless Harry for this that begins with a simple declaration. She said, my kids are awful. At age two, my daughter asked where her fucking slippers were. I immediately said, pardon, and she repeated herself perfectly. Where are my fucking slippers? My son, at age three, told his sister at this point, she was seven, to get out of the fucking way. The same son, only two weeks ago, called his sister a twat. They are now eight and 12. Pretty sure I've gone wrong somewhere because my eldest son, who is 18, had wanker and fuck it as some of his first words. I'm obviously a terrible mother. I've heard that swearing is a sign of intelligence, so I'm going with that, and I must have geniuses. Yes, you do. Now I have a very simple philosophy on this, and I know that there are lots of people who disagree, but I swear in front of my children, not gratuitously, but I also, basically, I don't stop myself from swearing in front of them. And I just bring them up with the understanding that there are some things that adults can do that kids can't. It's like when they used to, well, I don't drink wine anymore, but when they see adults drinking alcohol, they know that they can't do it, but it's all right to do it in front of them. And I say to them, swear words are the same. You might hear them, you might see people using them, you're not allowed to. And that's okay. But also, I love swearing words because, as a linguist, as somebody who studied literature and language, I love, I love all sorts of words and the emotions that they bring. And there is nothing like a swear word. They are part of our lexicon. They are part of our dictionary. We are allowed to use them to to colour our our verbiage and to to make our points in any way we like. Uh, and so, I want the kids to um, understand these words and use them at an appropriate age and so we're not sheltering them from them but I appreciate that That might be a controversial uh, topic. So I suppose if you fundamentally disagree and think I'm a shitty parent then keep that to yourself Uh, but if you want to approach the conversation politely then feel free to drop me an email at you'renevertheonlyone at gmail.com and just in case you've forgotten because it's been a while that's Y-O-U-R-O. E, you are never the only one you're never the only one at gmail.com okay glad we got that sorted out Um, but before we go there is one thing that I do have to share and it's from the lovely Beverly and she sent me a video and I'm going to use the audio here and it's her son giving his opinion on Donald Trump what are you singing?
0: is a penis Donald Trump is
1: a penis to be honest I feel a bit bad for penises after that Right. Welcome back. And now I want to use the next few minutes to draw your attention to one of the unavoidable elements of parenting that they never fucking tell you about. And they don't tell you about it because if they did, nobody would ever have children. It's that simple. And it's this swimming lessons. Now, I've been very vocal on my Instagram about how I feel about swimming lessons, but just to get it out of my system once and for all, I thought I would lay it all bare for you here and now. Here's the thing, swimming is always presented to you as optional. You know, it's not like the government make you do it or the NHS push it, but if you're a parent and you ever want to enjoy a summer holiday again or, of course, equip your kids with the skills they need to survive, then there's just no getting away from swimming lessons. At some point, you have to teach your kids how they can fucking float. It's that simple. Except that none of us actually know how to teach our kids how to swim because none of us can ever remember. Most of us were just chucked in and told to figure it out. I could swim before I could walk. I won medals, I trained eight times a week and I honestly wouldn't know where to start when it comes to teaching my own kids how to swim. Also, on the odd occasion, when I have tried, they refuse to try anything and just cry and say they're scared. So the plain simple fact of it all is that we have to put them in swimming lessons. If you can find a spot for them, of course, that is because it's competitive. And in my experience, it would be easier to get a private audience with the Dalai Lama than it is to get your kids into swimming lessons. And trying to get them swimming lessons at the same time, if you happen to have more than one crotch goblin, well, that's the holy unicorn of parenting. It never happens. I make my life slightly harder in that I refuse to do anything on Saturday mornings, which is generally prime swimming lesson time. We're all so busy during the week that I protect that weekend like a rabid dog. You know what? I may choose to go out and do something with the kids on the weekend, but I will not commit to a Saturday morning club by handing over a small fortune because weekend me will want to punch the this'll be fun me in the face. So that's not happening. Swimming lessons. They don't want to go. They never want to go swimming, especially in the winter, but it's too cold. They want a snack. I've obviously forgotten the snack, so we have to stop at the petrol station. I buy them a pseudo healthy snack and they cry because it's not a ton of Haribo. And then we get to the pool and they don't want to get changed because it's cold and soggy and wet and damp. And then they don't want to put their hat on and their goggles are too tight. And this whole time, the clothes they just dropped on the floor are marinating in Veruca juice and piss. And I can already see the shit fit that will ensue when I tell them they have to put them back on wet. Uh, they finally get into the pool, which also, by the way, is always too cold. Uh, and they'll whinge because they've got splashed. I mean... You cannot go to a swimming pool and then complain about getting splashed. Their goggles are leaking. But my favourite is, of course, the inevitable, I need a wee every single time. Of course, when the lesson's over, you'd think they wouldn't be able to wait to get out of the pool that they did not want to get into. But no, that's not the case at all. Now they don't want to get out. And when they realise the power they have at this point, you are fucked. You are actually fucked because what are you going to do? Get out of the pool. No. what, where are you going to go? You're not going to get in. You're in clothes. They're in a swimming costume. You are powerless in this situation and they know it. And they look at you and they say no and then they dive underwater. And then they do that thing where they only come up just to get enough breath before they dive underwater. And you're sat on the edge of the pool going... Bip. So I'm there and I'm screaming like a banshee and the sweat's running furiously between my boobs and under my pits and between my legs and I can issue threats but honestly it doesn't matter because they're not listening to me. They now apparently love being underwater even though when I bring the shower head within five meters of their head at home to rinse the shampoo out they scream the house down. When I have finally broken and told them that they've lost their tablets for a week they agree to get out crying again screaming in fact because they've lost their tablets and immediately complain that it's cold. And I suggest that they get in the warm shower. I'm like, why don't you warm up in the shower? But they don't want to shower. They don't want to shower because they're already clean, apparently. And I say, well, you have to wash your hair. And they say, my hair's clean. No, it's not clean. It's full of chlorine. You need to get in and rinse out the chlorine and wash your hair. No, mummy, I don't want to. And by the way, I'm really cold. We'll get in the fucking shower. I don't want to get in the shower. At this point, any parent has to recognise that you are not dealing with a logical being and therefore you are never going to win. Somehow, I might manage to coax them into the shower, which is great. They'll scream and cry while we wash their hair. And then when I say, right now then, come on, let's get out of the shower that you hate, they'll be like, oh, can I just have five more minutes? Nice and warm. Remember, I'm dressed. I'm hot in this humid, sticky, changing room where everywhere I look there are pieces of somebody's body hair. The sweat is still running down my various body crevices. I feel trapped in a room covered in tiles from which the screams and whines and piercing shouts of about 400 children bounce off like shards of glass embedding themselves fully in the very last of my Patience. I'm weighed down under two towels, goggles, hats, soggy swimmers, my handbag and coat. I've got those fucking blue shoe covers on, which you know I'm going to forget to take off and walk to the car in, potentially go and get some petrol in. Yes, I've done that before. And I am questioning every life choice I have ever made and reminding myself that I am actually paying for this privilege. I am paying to be this fucking miserable. Of course, when they're finally out of the shower, there's more whining because now they're cold again. Have I got a snack, they ask. No, I don't have a snack. That would be too easy. That would be too organised. That would be great parenting. I am not at the level of great parenting right now. I am at the level of, you'll be lucky if I don't kill you in the next five minutes parenting. That's where I am. I spend the next 30 minutes trying to convince hysterical, tired, cold and hungry kids who are now operating 100% from their lizard brains to put on their Veruca juice scented clothes so that we can get home and get out of this godforsaken place that Dante should have made the inner circle of hell in fact if Dante had been a parent the nine circles of hell would have started with uh, getting ready to leave the house moving on to getting kids to do homework as the second circle the third circle would be getting kids to eat anything green then The fourth circle's travelling with kids. The fifth circle would be known as the mummy watch this circle. Circle number six is going to Ikea on a family trip. Circle seven is soft play, indoor adventure, centres, go ape, anything like that. Circle eight is kids birthday parties. And the ninth and final and worst fucking circle is swimming lessons. I'm actually looking down the barrel of swimming lessons this evening. And to be honest, just having this conversation has felt a bit like therapy. And it's reminded me to put snacks in the bag. So that's cool. Thanks for that. I am actually recording this bit for the second time, mostly because the first time I recorded it, I somehow managed to do it five semitones lower, which made me sound a little bit like this. Uh, And despite all my husband's technical help, we couldn't fix it. So here I am uh, redoing this section and hoping that I can recreate it because obviously I nailed it the first time and now I'm going to have to nail it again. We will see. I'm actually going to use this segment to chat about something that Jimmy and I ended up talking about. I say talking about, it it sort of descended into a bit of a disagreement, a tete-a-tete, a fight, if you will. And it was after I read about the Just Stop Oil protesters. I think they'd occupied a bed in Harrods in protest against fuel poverty. Um, Now, before I go on, I just want to make this really clear. I agree with the things that they believe in. I'm going to say it again, just in case anybody is determined to misinterpret what I am about to say. I fundamentally agree with everything that Just Stop Oil believe in. I hate that fuel has become an unimaginably profitable resource that's controlled by the very few while there are so many people unable to heat their homes. I fundamentally disagree that we should be plowing money into more fossil fuel mining sources and i cannot get on board with the fact that we are held hostage by massive businesses and very rich individuals when it comes to fuel i agree with their message what i do not agree with is how they deliver it and bear with me now I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, it's about raising awareness. And you know what? I think that's what they believe. But I don't think there's a person in the country right now that isn't aware of the fuel crisis. I don't think there's a person in the country right now that isn't aware of the need for us to come up with more sustainable fuel sources. I just don't think there is I think when everybody is currently investing in snoodies instead of being able to afford their heating and when people are literally freezing so that they can eat I do not think there is anybody who isn't aware of the current fuel crisis and the immorality that exists because it's essentially become politicized and and profit and profitized profitized we'll go with it so I'll be very very clear I am going to be controversial to a lot of people because I know that there are a lot of people who are inherently left-wing and I am uh I'm married to one I would say for myself my policies are left-leaning 100% but I'm very centrist in my approach in that I I'm open to hearing the conversation. I'm open to agreeing with certain ideas and policies from either side. That doesn't mean that I do. It means that I'm open to it. Um. Whereas my husband, who I love very dearly, is, is really not that open to it. And I respect that. That's his view. He is left diehard. So before you all call me... The people who don't agree with what I'm saying and just actually hate me and have already taken out a pen and paper so that they can write down all the awful things I say and then use it to call me all sorts of disgusting things uh, on social media, um, you might want to settle in because there'll probably be a few things that you you want to take down at this point. Um, this is not me saying that I disagree with the principles upon which Just Stop Oil are founded. However, I do believe that when you're methodology in raising awareness or in conveying your point serves to anger the very people you are needing to convince to help you achieve your goals you've lost and it's not a great methodology you don't need to convince the people who already agree with you little harry who sat next to you stapling his penis to the m25 he doesn't need convincing He's already with you. It's not him that you need to convince. It's the guy who sat in number 10. It's all his cronies. It's the people that you don't like. It's the people that often just stop oil and other such people like it refuse to even engage with. And I get it. I don't want to talk to people I don't like. I don't want to talk to people that I fundamentally disagree with. But sometimes there are people who we fundamentally disagree with who are the ones who can change policy and make a difference. And currently, if you are left-leaning, those are the Tories. That's not right necessarily you may not agree with it you may not like it but that is the fact if we want to change policy you have to get the Tories on side and i'm g- just going to hazard a guess chucking paint all over ferraris isn't going to work and i and i'm even going to go one step further and say that chucking paint on ferraris isn't really going to engage anybody it's not really going to inspire anybody into believing that you are prepared to have a meaningful, constructive, and grown-up conversation about it. Now, I know that people are going to be mad about what I'm saying, but here's the thing. I have seen people dedicate their entire lives. I've seen people dedicate hours, weeks, months, years of their time that they do not have, time they've taken away from families to fight policies that they do not agree with. Look at people like the my very, very good friend, Anna Whitehouse, mother pucker. The, I, can, I have seen from firsthand the sacrifices on a personal and professional level she has made to promote flexible working and not to just raise awareness of it, but also to get policies through government that actually make meaningful and impactful changes for millions of women now and in the future. Now, that wasn't easy. That took. That has taken her years. She has written millions of emails. She has turned up at millions of appointments. She has fought her way through hundreds of doors that were not open to her, but she has found a way. She has found people who can write policy. She has campaigned. She's been on radio. She's been on TV. She's been on magazines, not because she wants to get her face on the front of these publications but because she knows that she has to work her arse off to make changes and she's done it now to be fair I thought to myself maybe Just Stop Oil are doing this maybe this performative element of it is just one part of it and actually the rest of the time they're very busy sat at home doing the work writing the policies challenging the people get writing you know doing the petitions and all of that stuff well I went to the website and I can't see anything on that now I could be wrong and if I am please let me know please because I am always willing to be challenged but I could not see anything on there that they were doing to actually make a change it's a bit like when a kid throws a tantrum and they're screaming and they're crying and they're throwing things and they're sitting down on the floor and refusing to move there is direct parallels here and you say okay I get it I get it tell me what's wrong what can I do about it? And they go, I don't know. It's like, well, you've got my attention. I am here. I'm ready. Okay, okay, just stop oil. You've got my attention. What do you want us to do? What can we do? What's the answer? What's the solution? Who's writing the solution? Or are we just shouting about the problems? Is that, is that what we do? Are we just shouting about the problems and disrupting a lot of people's lives? Because as much as you have just thrown pain all over you know, fancy cars, there are normal people working in those garages. You know, you might just be sitting in front of the M, on the M25, but there are cabbies who are trying to make a living. There are people who are trying to get to work, normal people that you pretend to be on the side of. You're really disrupting their lives and not in a way that makes them want to support you. You're doing it in a way that's angering them because you're not following through with a solution. You're not following through and going, and now I'm going to do the work and get it sorted. And that's really frustrating. And at that point, it just becomes performative and it starts to look like you're just doing it. To get your face on the front of a paper. And also, let's, here's the other thing, and I am as guilty as a lot of people about sometimes forgetting to check my privilege. But Just Stop Oil are on a whole nother level. I have not seen, and again, please tell me if I'm wrong, but I have looked through the papers, I have looked through the images that I can find, I have not seen one black man stick his hand to. constable in the Royal Academy I have not seen one black man occupy a bed in Harrods I've not seen one black man throw shit over a statue and do you know why because they know they don't have the privilege of being able to get an arrest the girl who threw the excrement over the statue I believe that she was a medical student she was white uh, and she can afford that arrest on her record she can go for a job later in life and they go, what's this arrest? And they go, oh, well, it's that time. high drinks when we, uh, I was uh, protesting and part of Just Stop Oil and I, I threw shit over the statue and it got in all the papers and, you know, it really, when I was doing my right-on thing. She's probably still going to get the job. But it won't matter if a black man has that arrest on his record because they won't bother asking. He won't even get through the door. And that lack of recognition of privilege is when it just becomes performative and the moment is lost and actually it's easy. It's easy to turn up and throw paint on something. It's easy to to get to the M25 and sit down and not move. It's easy to get an arrest if you're a white man or woman. You know, it's not easy, however, to spend the hours and hours that it takes to break through the boring, obstructive bureaucracy that is required when it comes to actually needing to change policy. Like if Anna White, what if she called me up next tomorrow morning and she said, "Listen, I've decided I'm not going to." I'm not going to fight for flexible working in this way. I'm not going to do all the work. I'm not going to turn up at number 10. I'm not going to write policy. I'm not going to get all the female barristers involved to help me write this policy so we can get it through. I'm not going to spend years and years of my life networking so I can get in front of the right people. No, no, no. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go, I'm going to take some paint, and I'm going to chuck it on the door of this CEO who's really against flexible working in his workplace. I reckon that will be enough. Oh, darling, that looks incredible. Just a quick segue while I'm in the middle of my vent. My husband's just walked in. He's very pleased with himself because he's baked a quiche, haven't you? What's in the quiche, tell us? Cheese and asparagus. asparagus. Anyway, let me get back to it. If Anna decided that that was how she was going to approach her fight for flexible working, I would turn around to her and I'd say, you have lost your fucking mind. Because the simple fact is that too many people are willing to perform protest and are willing to stand up and make it all look good in the blink of an eye but nobody's actually prepared to do the work and that's me included I'm not prepared I yes I agree with it do I have the time the energy or the inclination to spend hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months actually making a change no but you know what thank god there are people like Jolie from Pregnant Then Screwed and Anna from Mother Pucker and Flex Appeal thank god there are those people out there and millions of others like them who actually do the work. But Just Stop Oil's not doing the work. We get it. All right, you've done it. You've told us how angry you are. We understand why you're angry. But now what? Are you just going to keep doing this? Are you just going to keep disrupting hardworking people's lives when they sit, when you sit on the M25 and they can't get to work? Now, just to be clear, this is not me against protest. Everybody has the right to protest. And I fully Fully respect that to peaceful protest. And I'm not saying that what they're doing is not peaceful. It is what it is, however you interpret that. But what I am saying is that it's not protest, it's performative, it's virtue signaling. And I'm not saying that these people are bad people. I believe they have great intentions, good hearts, and they genuinely believe they are trying to do something for the betterment of our world and our earth. But I just don't think they're doing it the right way. And While the majority of them, I think, truly prepared to die for that cause, which is something I have to respect, I actually think that a lot of them are just in it for the gags. I think a lot of them are in it for the adrenaline. A lot of them are in it for the fuck you. A lot of them are in it for the rebellious nature of it I do and if you think I'm wrong then I 100% want to have that conversation with you in a respectful way if you're just going to write me an email or a dm calling me a Tory cunt then you know what like let's just not bother but do you agree are you uh, do you support Just Stop Oil at any cost regardless of their methods do you think actually their methods are brilliant and doing exactly what they need to do or do you agree with them like me but think their methodology sucks if you have anything to say about this please feel free to drop your um Um, ideas to me either via email email at you're never the only one at gmail.com or by dm on instagram and i cannot wait to hear i think it's a really interesting conversation and i think it's one that we need to be having more of and i think a lot of us are scared to come out against very left-wing very movements because we're always only one comment away from getting cancelled but i hope that we can have a conversation in which the nuance is respected and the grey areas are occupied we'll circle back on it I just used that term as if we're in some sort of corporate meeting we'll circle back on it next week I'm interested to hear what you have to say And that's it for this week. I hope you have enjoyed it. I know it's been a bit of a hiatus, but we're back. We've got one more episode before we break up for Christmas and I will be back in the new year. But before we go, a little bit of housekeeping. For those of you who follow me on any social media platform, you will know that I have released The annual Not So Smug Now Big Fat Christmas Quiz. Now, this is something that you can buy. You just buy it on my website, notsosmugnow.com. It's £8, and £2 of that goes to an amazing little charity called Furnishing Futures. It's an independent charity, charity that are in desperate need of all the help and support we can give them. They basically provide furniture to help people in social housing. Furnish their houses and live a comfortable life. So if you are looking for something fun to do with the family on Christmas Day or something great to do as a work event, then this quiz is designed for you. It is easy. It's all digital, so you can do it on Zoom if you want to. You can do it with people across on the other side of the world, or you can print it all off and do it in the comfort of your own home, or you can do it digitally in the comfort of your own home if you don't want to waste all that paper. There are six rounds, there's a movie round, a music round, and a picture round, and it's lots and lots and lots of fun. I promise you, you've even though I wrote it myself, it's really good fun. And I'm going to be hosting the quiz with my family and friends this Christmas. So go and buy it, smugnow.com. eight quid, two of those, two pounds of those go towards furnishing futures. So you are doing good things too. Before I sign off, please, please, please get in touch. This is next week's topic. As Christmas is coming, I want to know all about the very worst christmas presents or birthday presents or any presents in in at all that you have ever received i believe that my sister was once given a wheelbarrow by her ex-husband unsurprisingly because she once mentioned that she'd like to get into gardening it didn't go down very well i don't think they divorced much long after uh, but anything like that any christmas presents that made you cringe that you couldn't believe that were awful i've got stories you've got stories send them in to me at you are never the only one at gmail.com y o u r I cannot wait to hear your stories I cannot wait to do this again next week and then I cannot wait for the new year where we get to really smash the shit out of this but for now, it's better late than never I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week Happy Monday and I'll see you next time You're never the only one is written and presented by me, Kat Sims, author of The First Time You Smiled or Was It Just Wind, and creator of Not So Smug Now, an online platform for those of us who are waking up every day and just trying to do the best they can. Follow me and get all your podcast info by heading to @notsosmugnow on Instagram and TikTok, and notsosmugnow.com. You'll also be able to read things I write, including articles and my book, which, by the way, is probably the best baby shower gift you can get at the moment, and soon you'll be able to pick up merch there as well. You're Never the Only One is produced and edited by Lucy Loucroft and executive producers are Bonnie Barry and Parami Hodakara. Our original music is written and performed by Hot Salad. Yeah, I really fancy the bass player. Please check them out wherever you stream your music, and on Instagram, at Your mum likes hot salad. The
0: things I say and do, i always what I need. I'm neither saint nor sinner, I'm somewhere in between This world is complicated, everything moves so quick